Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Do you get like I, a hiccup I, or a burp and you try to swallow it? That's what we were doing there. This is the press box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grady and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for yeah, full anyway. Come on. On ESPN Las Vegas. It's live from home, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Oh, VGK can't lose. Let's go. The first bite. Does Pete DeBoer ever think about his goalies? Uh, he better think about them in 13 games from now because that's going to be kind of a major decision there when uh, he uh, when they start the playoffs. But, yeah, I think um, I think it was Dave Shane who asked me the other day on a Zoom. Uh, you know, I, I think Dave raised it and, like, it's working so well by, you know, rotating them. Would you consider that? And, you know, you can tell us what he said, but um, I still think in, what is it, 13 games, 12 games, he has a decision to make, at least to start the playoffs and go in with one of them. Well, here is what Pete DeBoer said when asked about his goaltending decision for the playoffs. Well, I'm not sure how they could separate themselves right now. I mean, you know, <laughs> unless you're going to, unless you're going to, uh, you know, throw five or six shutouts in a row uh, out there. You know, they're both playing excellent hockey. They're both at the top of their game. Great problem to have and and something I'm not uh, really thinking about until I have to. I do enjoy him saying he's not thinking about it until he has to because that almost certainly has to be a lie. Like, to me, there's no yeah. doubt he's sitting yeah. there thinking about it all the time. Now, well, he should be, right? He should be. I would hope he is. Yeah. Um but what was more interesting from that quote was him saying that he doesn't know how Flurry or Leonard will separate themselves, how basically one yeah. will claim the job. Um, and I guess if, if the head coach is going into the final five or six starts for each of them thinking, I don't know how they separate, how, how does Pete DeBoer decide then? I guess that, like, I don't understand how he as a coach is going to decide if he's saying he doesn't understand how they could separate from each other. This sound, they won't play him in the first round. So it's really weird. Look, I mean, as we saw last week, we're going to talk about it. We'll talk about it with Ryan and others this week who cover the team. They get in these games against these teams that aren't any good. Um, and it's just, it's you're sitting there saying, okay, are they that good? There could be, there could be you know, truth to that. They might be good. They might be the best team in hockey. Again, we've talked about it a lot. We really haven't seen the other teams that are good in the other divisions. So I don't know. I mean, but if you're telling me they're the best team in hockey, I'd say, okay. Could, do you think, I mean... I know the Suns crazy, but they got two more against Colorado. One if what if one's great and the other loses six to one? I, I don't, you know, because what does he really have to judge them on the rest of the way? I know they go to Minnesota. I think. I mean, there's just a few games here where you're like, all right, how are you going to play against the best teams? And we just got to make a decision here. Or do you think it's more if they're even, they'll just say, look, it's Flurry. He was the best all year because Robin Leonard got hurt, and we're just going to go with Flurry. Well, so what Pete DeBoer's done with that answer is he has left this to where. Whenever he does make a decision, he can pretty much point to whatever he wants to point to. 
because right. he can. The, his answer saying they can't really separate themselves is basically him saying we've got two really good goalies that are both playing really well, and at the moment there's nothing separating them. Which means if that continues, by when we get to the playoffs, Pete DeBoer is going to be able to say we have two really good goalies, and I went with Flurry because blank, or I went with Leonard because blank, and blank could literally be anything. I mean, last year he went with Leonard, and, and after the season was over, he told us it was because uh, Leonard played so well in the practices before right. they even went to the bubble. <laughs> and so, like, if 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 there was enough in practice last year before the bubble to, to make a decision, then surely there's going to be an actual reason from the games this last couple of weeks to make a decision. But because he's been so vague about it, he he's he hasn't walked himself into a decision. He can basically say whenever whatever decision he makes, he can point to whatever he wants. He can go back to the practice line and say, "Well, in the last two days before the playoffs, so and so's been great in practice, or so and so we liked him better against the certain matchup in the playoffs." So it's like he's left it to where he can go in pretty much any direction he wants when he makes that decision. You know, th- that's I forgot the forty-two texts about how Leonard looked good at City National. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, the 42 tweets, the tweets. It was one after the other. Robin looks good today. Leonard's looking good today. Leonard's, Leonard's out there playing well today. Um, yeah, that's actually somewhat comical. that Because we, we've been to practices, and I'm like, how could you ever decide anything on those things? I mean, you know, they're like most professional teams where you have morning skates or, you know, the Raiders have practice. They don't do much during the week because the game is so hard, right? It's so physical that you can't put guys through any kind of real, you know, they do power plays and stuff like that, but they're not really doing much, nor should they. The game's too hard, and you have too many of them, especially in this season, by the way, the condensed schedule. I I mean, I'd skate them around a few laps and say, go go in the trainer's room or something like that. I don't know what I'd be doing to practice in this kind of season, but you're right. He's going to explain it the way he wants. Now, the you and I both know if they're even the rest of the way, and I don't think this plays into Pete DeBoer's thinking. I would hope not. It shouldn't. But the only way, the only way there's backlash from public or whoever is if it's not flurry. That, that's the only way. Let's just say they're even. Let's say, I don't know, they split with Colorado and Minnesota and whatever, and they finish second and they're going to play the Wild, and he goes with Leonard. Then I think you'd hear some backlash from whatever. And not that that should matter to Pete DeBoer. None of that should matter to Pete DeBoer. But the, you know, the overwhelming, I think, popular choice, let's say, locally would be flurry. Yeah, last year... Uh, had he picked Flurry, there would have been people upset simply because Leonard had been so much better last season during the season. Uh, but this year, because Flurry's been so good, there's no like there's emotionally Flurry has pretty much all of the pull with the fan base. And then statistically, yes. I mean Flurry yeah. over the course of the entire season, Flurry's been better. So it, it's completely justified to take Flurry this year. Whereas last year, you there was a complete understanding as to why they took Robin Leonard. So last year we saw it when Flurry had one of his worst seasons ever. Flurry's had one of his best seasons ever. Right. And right. if it's Robin Leonard instead, it's going to be phenomenal to do sports radio at whenever that decision is made. The only problem for us, Ed, is they're not going to make the decision until the actual game one of the playoffs. Like, we're not going to yeah. get a day before to give us 24 hours of people freaking out. It's only going to be like... Oh. It's only going to be like an hour of people freaking out because they won't tell anybody until the actual game is started. No, we'll know at six o'clock when the tweets come that uh, Flurry has led the team off into the ice, <laughs> and then we'll we'll get that. I don't even think. Well, I'm trying to think. Like he has pregame 
Like, would he, he probably wouldn't even say it then, especially in the playoffs. He probably won't. I mean, they don't tip their hand in, you know, weekend game against the Ducks who are just awful. Um, so my guess is they're not tipping their hand in the playoffs at all, which they probably shouldn't. You, eventually, you know, anyway. I'm going to say right now today it's flurry because I just don't think with the weird games left and the bad teams they play that he could do enough poorly that and the other and all the Leonard's played well obviously I mean and it was funny that I don't know if you caught this but I just thought it was interesting I was not on this specific zoom so I'm I I have to preface that I'm reading quotes from him that he pointed out Leonard's record with them (laughs) like I was like oh that's interesting and he knew the record yeah like I I, I was like you know small little things because nothing really comes out of those zooms they don't really tell you anything um so when you see something like that I'm like well, that's interesting. He knows he knows the record, and maybe he should. But I don't know. I mean, does he know Flurry's record? Does he know other things in the team? How many how many you know assists guys have? Stuff. I just thought that was interesting. It might mean absolutely nothing, but they signed the guy to a five year deal. He played him last year. I think the sense is they obviously know Robin Leonard's the future. Mark Andre Flurry's contract's up next year. We don't know if he'll be on the team again. It's always the off season rumors and stuff. So I think it's it's tough to say. Is Leonard his guy, you know, push comes to shove, I think he would be. And I don't know if it really has anything to do with Marc-Andre Fleury. I just think that Leonard, in their minds, because of the contracts, the future for the next several years. Do you think Pete DeBoer is keeping track of how often the fourth line scores without Ryan Reeves? I mean, I think he knows how well the fourth line's playing, right? Um, And that's another thing. And I know, you know, we were going to talk about this this morning, so... Let me ask you this. So he's going to have a decision to make on the goaltenders, and if they're all even, I agree with you. If they're completely even, I think he goes flurried, at least the first series or the first game. Who knows? I mean, you know, they lose the first game 5-1. It might be the other guy. We're not sure about that. But if you're going to sit there and say, look, we're going to play the people with the best chance to win, and this is the goaltender that we believe gives us the best chance to win, I mean, don't you have to do that with every other position on your team? I mean, and if it continues this way, what does Ryan Reeves, at this point, how the bottom six are, especially that fourth line, what does Ryan Reeves come in and give you? I mean, we know what he's about in terms of a player, but what does he really give you if the fourth line continues to play like this? It doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give you anything even if the fourth line's not scoring. But it's 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 funny that Nick Waugh has scored three goals in four games on the fourth line since Ryan Reeves went on the uh, injured list. And so, or long, or IR. So... It's, it's funny that the fourth line all of a sudden can now score on a fairly regular basis without Ryan Reeves in there. Now, it's been against bad teams. It's not against playoff teams. And Nick Waugh scoring three goals in four games in the playoffs would be phenomenal. But I here, here's the thing. I think Ryan Reeves, when he's back and healthy, is guaranteed a spot in the lineup. Everything this organization Why do you has think done, that? Why do you think that? Because everything they've done since they traded for him, he's had a guaranteed spot in the lineup. Like, they, they don't take Ryan Reeves out even though he's not productive. And even though we're, we're, we've watched a fourth line of Nick Waugh with, they call up Tomas Jerko from the AHL level, and Will Carrier is better than any fourth line they've had with Ryan Reeves. Hell, Dylan Coughlin was on the fourth line in one of those games, and they were better than what they've done with Ryan Reeves. So it's it's... It, but it hasn't mattered. That's never mattered. Ryan Reeves, when he's healthy, is in the lineup. That's just how they handle Ryan Reeves because whatever intangible they think he brings, whatever momentum they think he creates with his hits, they, they believe in it and they think they need that in the lineup. Yeah. 
No, you're 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 right. I mean, at the end of the day, now let me ask you this: uh, Carrier, obviously, you know, Carrier is kind of a physical guy. Um, you know, when he when he was when he wasn't out, it was Colasar. I mean, are there are there guys now that you think that they believe well they can do almost as much as Ryan at this point, but the way this fourth line's playing will take the offense over what he can give us. And we know what he kind of gives them. Are there other guys like, you know what, that guy can kind of give us that, whether it's, you know, Kolasar back in the lineup, whether it's Kerry, whether it's whoever it is, and you might have better offense with anyone else. They have, they have three guys to do the same thing. Will Carrier, Keegan, Kolasar, and Ryan. Right. Those right. are Those are all three are basically the same player. Ryan Reeves just... Well, doesn't... I mean, doesn't Ryan Reeves just has it. Yeah, I mean, with Colasar missed a lot of shots, you had those stats, but doesn't doesn't he at least give you a better chance that he might do something? Yeah, he does absolutely. Now he doesn't score, we know right, that, right. And, and but neither, it's not like Ryan Reeves does either. So no. and and Carrier has not had a good season either scoring, but the, all three of those guys give you the same exact thing. Just Ryan Reeves has a brewing company. Like that's the only difference between the three of those guys is that Ryan Reeves is more outspoken and more talkative. But they're all three basically the same player and. The Golden Knights at times have played with all three of those guys in the lineup this year. And you have three guys in your lineup that simply cannot score. Like, that that sucks. That that That's hard to overcome in the playoffs when there's three guys that just literally can't score. You're much better off with only one of those guys in the lineup, which is what they've been doing recently with Will Carrier. So once you get to the playoffs here, the way they're playing right now, there's no real reason Reeves to be in there. There's no real reason for Colasar to be in there. But I'd be willing to bet one, if not both, are going to be guaranteed a spot once the playoffs yeah. get here. Well, I mean, oh, they were terrifying to wave Brian Reeves or wave. If you're Reeves, asking me, if you're asking me which one, I'd say Reeves, just because, like yeah. you said, his his time here and again, it's, the popularity should have nothing to do with it. I don't know if it does or not. I don't. I would hope Pete DeBoer just says, you know what. We got to win the Stanley Cup. Who's going to win us the Stanley Cup? Because if you don't play Reeves, you win the Stanley Cup. Guess what? All these fans who love Reeves won't care. They just want to win the Stanley Cup. No, nobody exactly. cares about that. Once you win the Cup, it doesn't matter who's in the lineup. I mean, Flurry gets Flurry gets sit the entire playoffs. And they win the Stanley Cup. Believe me, as popular as he is here, nobody's going to care. They, they won the Stanley Cup. Same with someone like Reeves, who's really popular and got the commercials and all that and the beer. I get all that, but you go win the Stanley Cup and he never plays a game. Everyone will say, "Hey, still like Ryan Reeves," but don't really care. Because they won the Stanley Cup. Do you guys do you guys think that maybe like Derek England needs an assistant? We could get Ryan Reeves that job. Coming up next. <laughs> Since April 18th, the Dodgers have never won a game. Oh. Curveball hung and hit a mile out to deep right field. Way, way, way back. Gonna go. Jake Cronenworth puts the Padres on the board in the fourth inning and a monster blast to right. Oh, boy. 1-0 pitch. Hard hit the other way and fair down the left field line. That's going to tie the game. Manny's rounding third coming home. It's 2-2. Eric Cosmer into second with a clutch double. Santana delivers and a hard hit liner deep to left field. That one is going to go up against the wall on one hop. Two runs will score. Bam into second with a double. I trust our defense, uh, the way we prepare, we practice, and uh, that's baseball. So, again, you know, winning the series was was very important to us, and uh, now it's just turning our focus to uh, Seattle. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. We can uh, completely ignore Friday and Saturday. There was only one Dodgers-Padres game over the weekend, and the Padres won on Sunday. What time did you get up to do those, Justice? 
<laughs> I'm we up for those clips. What a shock. Uh, no. Um, that was a – I tell you what, kind of walked – Tyler, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, kind of walked away a little nervous. They're pretty – Padres pretty good. I mean, I know Tatis was – yeah, I watched every everything. I mean, I know Tatis oh. was one of I know Tatis was one of seventy five uh, earning the contract, but um, uh, no, I mean, I I thought they were really good games. Uh, I know I'll say this: I watched the only one I watched first pitch to last was yesterday because I had other things to do the other days. I mean, I'd sneak in and watch it, and um, I I taped all of them so I'd go through them quickly. But yeah, I thought it was a really good series. Friday night was epic, you know. Afterwards, Tatis, it felt like a World Series game. Well, you've never been in one, so I don't know how you know how it feels. But you know, I, I, you know, I mean, most of these Padres, it felt like a World Series game. Well, listen, maybe one day you'll actually experience one. But I thought it was cool. I thought the um, the bench is clearing. I thought Kershaw yelling on, uh, you know, that it was BS that he, he he felt he did it on purpose on the on the catchers and everything. Like, it was actually pretty cool. I mean, it kind of for a three game series in April, which means very little. Um, I thought it was a pretty cool series. Uh, by the way, on the catcher's interference, so Jerks and Profar hit the catcher's right. glove with his swing, which is catcher's interference, and the batter yeah. gets first base. If you are able to intentionally hit the catcher's glove with your bat, you should do it every time, and yeah. nobody should be mad at you. <laughs> like, that's, that, like, no, you can't get mad at the guy. If the catcher's glove is there, then you can hit it. You should absolutely hit it every single time. Oh, like, it's catcher's that, interference. Yeah, it's a it's a free base, and yeah. I don't I don't understand why Kershaw would. Be, I mean, I guess I understand why Kershaw would be mad at it because it's a free base against him. But you should be mad at your catcher and not the well, actual batter who did it. Well, and they were saying, and um, I think it might have been Hershiser, but he did. He also said it was catcher's interference. I don't. They they didn't like the Dodgers broadcasters didn't say it wasn't, but he said he's trying to figure out why Kershaw's mad, and he thought it was because the ball was beyond him and he reached the bat back and did it on purpose. I don't. I think that that's kind of. A weak excuse because what's that thing going at ninety two? Right, and you're just trying to make contact. So it's like that. You'd have to be really, really smart, really, really good to say, "Oh, ninety two just went past me. Let me hit this guy's mitt." Right. I mean, the, the swing. It's like Kershaw said that wasn't a major league swing. It was a bad swing, but a lot of it probably had to do with the swing hit the glove. So it was catcher's interference. I mean, I don't know what he was yelling at. Um, how mad? How bad were the umpires over the course oh. of this series? You know what? <laughs> I, I don't know if you tweet this out, but my buddy in San Diego tweeting out, and he, you know, he's a Padre fan, but he was saying, I mean, he, he, he tweeted both sides. It was, they were horrible. And it's, when you tweet out, um, I'm sure you've seen it, that you can get the chart afterwards on each umpire on, you know, yep. like blatant ones they missed. Dude, it's like yesterday, and again, it's both ways yesterday, but it's like, you don't, the thing that stinks about that is you have no idea as a hitter going up what it is. Like, if the first six high strikes are called, okay. Then you can't make an excuse in the fourth inning if you get rung up on a high strike. I get that, but when they're that kind of inconsistent, really inconsistent for both ways, that must be so frustrating for both the Dodgers and the Padres because you just don't know going up what to swing at. And then you see that chart afterwards, and you're like, "How is this guy still a major league? Like, how do they continue <laughs> with these dudes?" If yesterday wasn't a huge proponent for just that, let let a computer do it. Then I don't I don't know what is because what is it Cicelli whatever his name was yesterday he was brutal and it was and like I said it's both ways I mean both teams are like looking at him like you're crazy so yeah it was I thought it was I thought that was brutal so there's a Twitter account called Ump Scorecards and yeah, they I think will that's it. I think that's it. they yeah. will they will tweet out uh, a breakdown from every game yeah. they have not tweeted out it's usually the next day they have not tweeted out from Sunday's games yet okay. but from Saturday's game when Tom Hallen was behind the plate 
Uh, he got an accuracy rating of 91%. Uh, the average is 94%. But a bigger problem was they also do a consistency grade because they basically say, okay, if you call that pitch a strike, even though it's outside the zone, then at least you're consistent. His consistency was only 88%, and that's the average just, is 96%. And that's the problem, right? So yep. if you're consistently bad, you're consistently bad, but be consistently bad in the, in the same spot. Like, you know, again, so because you get later in the game, if you get rung up, that's on you because you've seen the guy the whole game. But when you're consistently bad pitch to pitch inning to inning, the hitters have no chance. I mean, if they do anything, it's like, you know, good on them because they, they you don't know what the zone is. And I think that if you're in the 80s consistency-wise, like how, again, how doesn't the league look at that and make decisions on people like that? I just, I don't get it, man. Of all the leagues, you and I talked about this last week, of all the leagues where you know, umpires, referees, officials, whatever, are evaluated. I'd love to know at the major league level who's evaluating these guys when the, you say the numbers that you just did. Who's in charge of checking that and saying, okay, we might have an issue here? Yeah, I, I don't have any idea. Like, we, the umpires just, whatever they want to do, they Horrible. skate by on it, and it's no problem. Yeah. Um, quickly, though, is Fernando Tatis, like, bad? Like, that guy, he wasn't any good in that series. And he not only wasn't any good in the series, he had a few errors where you're like, I mean, yeah, well, that's, one thing that's probably the concern, the bigger yeah. part. He like he had he had like five errors before he got hurt, and he comes yeah. back and he, he has more errors. Like, yeah. what the hell? Like, I know he had a home run in the first game, but the first game, they're in extras, bases are loaded, two outs, and Tatis is up, and they, they don't win the game with Tatis at the plate and the bases well, loaded in extras. Like, I'm Tatis wasn't sure, good. I'm pretty sure that the homer was his only hit in the series. Was I it? One for, I think he was one for 15, one for six. And yeah, because uh, a guy I know who lives in San Diego who is so depressed at how good the, the Padres are now, he would text me every time Tatis got out. One for 12, <laughs> one for 13. I was like, okay, I'm doing something. Um, I don't know how good he is. Again, you know, he, he, he has one, he had a great season last year. He's very dynamic. People get excited because he tags it from second and scores on fly balls, all of that. And then he gets that contract. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's athletic and he's, you know, he seems to have all the tools, but he was terrible in that series. And that's a pretty big series to be terrible in. I mean, just like the world series Ed. it was the world series. Oh yeah. That, 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 the best part about that guy was he did nothing in the opener. He hits the home run off Bueller, but they lose. And he says it was like a world series game. It's like, (laughs) the guys in the other locker room can say that brother. You can't. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> Coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. Took another knee. Did Starkle. Clock winding down. Three seconds, two, one, and that's it. The game is over. The final score from CEFCU Stadium in San Jose. The San Jose State Spartans 34, UNLV 17. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. Mike, how are you this morning? Mike. I am good, guys. (laughs) All right. So... Since, what, Thursday, Friday, UNLV has landed two more commitments for basketball. David Muoka, the center, is coming over from Lamar, and Justin Webster, a shooting guard, is coming from Hawaii. 
So they've got a couple spots left on their roster. Maybe three if Arthur Kluma doesn't come in. So not completely set, but the roster's getting close. What do you think of their roster right now? Is it any good? I don't know if it's any good, but I do think that it was, um, I guess, nice to see them add a couple of players in Webster and Wolka who, you know, everyone that they've added so far through the transfer portal at this point has been sort of someone who's not that accomplished in college basketball. You know, you're sort of, you know, they're, they're projections. But these are two guys who have actually produced, albeit at lower levels. So they, they've taken a lot of guys from from power conferences who haven't done much, and you're just sort of hoping that they'll produce. And it's always nice to see them get a couple guys who have already produced. And now you're, you know, you, you're getting a defensive player of the year. You're getting a guy who's averaged 13 points and almost made 40% from three. So just good to see them get. I, I know people were starting to fret. Um, just from my mentions on Twitter and stuff like that, I know people were starting to fret that they had only added uh, like eight points per game you know, for their other five transfers. So it was nice to see them get some guys who have done something. Yeah, especially on Webster, because talk about him, because uh, I th- that was a concern. And I know you've written about it, Tyler's written about it, especially the three-point shooting. And again, it's a lot of it's not fair because the other kids haven't played very much, so maybe they're a lot better than we think. But just perception-wise, here's a kid who scored 12 points a game. He can shoot from three, apparently. Like, how important was that just to get a kid that you can say, okay, it's almost like when they got Grill and others, like a guy who can actually make a shot sometimes. I mean, how important was that, at least perception-wise? It's, it's, it's good because you don't – the guys that they got, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to judge them too harshly because we – like you said, they, they're only – those guys – we're only getting eight minutes a game, ten minutes a game. Right, You're only getting right. one shot a game. So you can't really judge how good a shooter is uh, on those kind of minutes and that kind of volume. But they weren't just getting, you know, average three-point shooters. They were getting guys who shot 21% last year, guys who shot 14% from three last year, guys who are just, if you just look at the numbers, were just complete non-shooters. So it's like it's something that they definitely needed to add just so that they could say, like, hey, this is, you know, where are the points going to come from on this team next year? Well, here's one guy, at least, who might be able to make a shot. So, um, yeah, we'll see if it translates to the Mountain West level. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought those were two pretty big pickups for them. So, Kevin Kruger has been extremely vague when talking about what type of style he's going to play. Given the players he's brought in, do you have any projections as to what style you think they might be trying to play this year? Yeah, I think if you just look at what they have for this season, uh, I don't know what it's going to look like long-term in the future, but I think they look like a team that's going to shuttle defensive players on and off the floor. Uh, They're going to try and play uh, a grinded-out defensive style. They're going to probably hold the ball a lot on offense, a lot of long possessions. Uh, They want to get the defense set. I would guess that they're going to try to win low-scoring games just by being a good defensive team. Now that's just my first impression based on nothing more than looking at these players' heights and weights and, you know, their scouting reports from two years ago when they were coming out of high school. So it, it could end up being completely different. You know, we thought T.J. Osterberger was going to be a, a run-and-gun, up-and-down-the-floor type of team, and then we saw his first year was kind of the complete opposite. And maybe it turns out that way with Kruger. Maybe we think he's going to be a defensive-minded coach, and then he comes out and they – you know, they're running up and down and, and scoring at will. So 
Um, you can't really tell at this point, but that's what it looks like to me. It looks like they're going to try to win, you know, rock fights. Mike, I uh, also want to get to you about spring football, but before we do, um, we have not asked you about this. Uh, now the, I think the Kansas City Star picked up on this. I know uh, other papers back there did. Caleb Grill's comments, I'm sure you saw, about UNLV yeah. were very interesting to people. I'm still figuring out where he actually lived in such a bad neighborhood. But anyway, um, the the situation where him saying the fans were kind of brutal, uh, DMing him, Tyler and I talked about it last week. We don't think anybody should be DMing kids or really adults or anybody, really, if you have no relationship with them. Were you surprised, one, of the, the comments, but two, he kind of seemed to go out of his way to make his point there? He, uh, I wasn't uh, surprised. I think pretty much anyone who plays sports or is on TV or has their name out there in any way, shape, or form in this day and age is going to get social media messages from people who are, you know, just wanting to badmouth them. Like that's just, that just goes along with being a, um, a celebrity in, in today's age. Like there are always going to be people who, people who don't like what you're doing. Like Caleb Grill said that, you know, the fans were expecting championships like 1990. Um, and that and when they didn't deliver, that's when he would, you know, he would get these upsetting DMs, but, I think even if they were winning championships at UNLV now, I think he would still be getting DMs like that because that's just how fans are. You know, if you go 30-1, and one, you know, don't check your DMs after that one loss because it's going to be the same thing. So um, I think part of that is he's a young guy. Um, it's an intense fan base. It's probably his first time going through something like this. Um, I think as an athlete, he'll get used to it. But at the same time, it, it does not look good for UNLV fans like that. Stay out of the kids' DMs. Like, you know, just don't. There's no reason to do that. Just leave it alone. Doesn't look good for UNLV either with where they're putting up their players if they're complaining like that about where they're living. That's always been an issue for UNLV. Like, I remember <laughs> even back during the Dave Rice era, um, maybe Ed remembers this, but there were always stories about, you know, when they would go on the road, they would come back and the players' apartments would be like ransacked. There were always yeah. like, robberies yeah. and burglaries and like. So that's been an issue as far back as I can remember. If you go to college, like, who wants to go on a road trip and have to worry about your apartment getting broken into it? So it's like that's always been something that goes with UNLV for some reason. Uh, well, you probably haven't seen much of spring football. Who has? Uh, no. I don't know why everything's closed down out there. That's a completely different story. But from what you've been able to gather, um, we know there's a quarterback, uh, con- or not, uh, quarterback challenge out there in competition uh, without having seen much, what is your take, if any, on the important spring practice that Marcus Arroyo believed he needed to have? We really have no idea what's going on at, at quarterback, just because you know we, we haven't seen it, and you know we didn't see much of these guys last year. So it's like you know, there's no way to know. The, the quarterback who starts in week one could be someone who's not even on the roster now. Like you, you literally don't know. It could be someone who doesn't get a starting job somewhere else and transfers and comes to UNLV and suddenly like they're just the starter um, in the last week of training camp. Who knows? It's just, it's, it's tough to tell. I thought that the freshman Cameron Frail would probably be the favorite just because they, you know, Justin Rogers, Doug Brumfield, they didn't really show much last year, but who's to say like it's, it's spring football. I'm sure they're all completing 90 plus percent of their passes. I'm sure they all look great in spring football. <laughs> so, so even if we even if we were allowed, even if the media or whoever was allowed to see 
what's going on on the field, I still don't think it would probably mean much in that competition. What was Armani Rogers' completion percentage in practice? It was always over 65%. <laughs> it was, was it, right? And then every year they'd have the um, their training camp scrimmage, and he would perform poorly, and they'd say, well, we got to work on the mechanics. So, yeah, that's, that's, you know, uh, that's been going on for a long time. My favorite was when Tony Sanchez said he only threw one incompletion, and then we found out he only threw four passes. <laughs> or when he uh, had a, a tough spring performance and they said, you know, it's a mechanical issue with his foot or, you know, it's pointed in the wrong direction. And you went back and you found the quote from the previous uh, scrimmage, which was the exact same quote from Tony Sanchez one year later. Um, all right. Now that you've seen them in person, not in person, on TV. No, not in person. Come on. On TV, the Boston Red Sox oh. yellow jerseys are blank. They're yellow. They're very, very yellow, <laughs> blue. It's like they are Golden State Warriors. I don't understand. Um, what we had seemed to be working for the past couple centuries in terms of primary colors and jersey design. I didn't see the need personally to switch to two primary colors that we've never, ever used and have no relation to the, the team or the franchise. But... Um, Hopefully it's over now. How long is this going to last? I think I've seen them twice. I think they're wearing them today too, aren't they? Uh, maybe. I don't know. And then it's over, right? I don't know. I'm, well, no. These are supposed to be like uh, the, the the Red Sox are like the first trial run of Major League Baseball trying out like color rush type jerseys. Like these are supposed to be like a, a series that every team ends up getting a random jersey like this. Oh, baseball is so bad, guys. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how we watch it. It's so bad. It's the only. It's the sport where. Uh, do you remember when Gonzaga was thinking about leaving the WCC and the WCC league said, "You know, we'll give you less games against our conference." Yes. It's like that. That's what baseball does. They're like, "We'll give you seven inning games. We'll give you extra inning games. We'll put a runner on second so the game doesn't last as long." It's like it's the only sport where to make it better. Like, we're going to give you less of it. We're going to do everything we can to give you less baseball because we know you hate it. And they're right. They're right. We hate it. The jerseys are bad. The pace of play is bad. Everything is bad about it. I don't know how we get through watching every season. Well, you're just, you're just mad that the one sport that wears white versus gray every single game is now changing to <laughs> add more colors. I am. I'm also mad that the Red Sox appear to be good because that, I, was, that's how I take out my frustration on them as a punching bag lately. So... That's also throwing me for a loop. I don't know what to do with a good baseball team. Well, if they're going to change anything, change the umpires because they are brutal. I like. I, hey, we've been over this, man. I would live with them getting every call wrong if that's what it took to get rid of replay. I'd rather. I'd rather get the calls wrong <laughs> than go to the replay. And Mike has the worst opinions on baseball. It's it's undoubted the worst opinions. He is he is perfectly fine. With umpires with no, missing re, calls. No replay? Yeah, he, he's perfectly fine with oh. umpires just missing calls. Oh. He wants nothing more than umpires to miss balls and strikes. I, really? I, watched the, I watched the Red Sox game a few days ago where they got a – there was a bang-bang play at first. They called him out. They went to the replay. And they said, oh, on second thought, you're safe. And the next batter hit a three-run homer for my team that I was rooting for. And I was still angry. I said, I can't believe I had to sit through a, a replay to get to this. <laughs> I, w- I would have rather but he, had But they got the out. call right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to sit through replay reviews in a base. 
like I said, baseball, they, give me less of it. Don't make me sit there and like, have more. <laughs> don't make me sit through more baseball. It, just get the calls wrong and get through the game. That's all I want. Man, that is a different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time you've heard get the calls wrong yes, it's better exactly, that way yes exactly um mike you tweeted out a picture of your salad uh last week and i've got to ask which of these responses was your favorite uh how do i delete someone else's tweet there's no joy in that meal or deconstructed salad i like deconstructed salad because that's kind of what it is and it's kind of giving me credit for I, as far as I'm no, I, as far as I know, I'm the only person who makes a salad like this. So I kind of enjoy that. It's not putting me down. It's like the it's the ingredients of a salad. I personally prefer not to mix them together, and I think it's better that way. So I, I would I'm going to start calling them deconstructed salads. I like that one a lot. <laughs> it makes you sound like you know what you're doing when uh, uh, we all know you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, stop stop mixing your salads, people. <laughs> Separation. Separate the ingredients. Well, he is Mike Gravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Gravala. Mike, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Get the calls yeah. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Get the calls he, wrong. Yes, yes. He despises replay reviews well, so much. I mean, some of them last a little while, but some of them they take one look and they knew they blew it and it goes pretty fast. I mean, I, I've never heard that before. I was wondering about that that salad, though. It, I, you know him better than I do, but it, it, does he just not appear to want food to touch each other? Yeah, no, he very much wants. His, he yeah, he doesn't want to eat two different things in the same bite. Jesus, yeah, what you got you got to keep the the, the <laughs> lettuce the, the lettuce leaves on one part of the plate, the grilled chicken on another, and the croutons on a third. Those are the only three ingredients, and they're not even put together; they're just separately placed on a plate. And yeah, that's that's what he's going for. Just what don't let existence. Them, don't eat them at the wow. same time. They got to be separate. Wow. All right, coming up next, the world of soccer is burning down. We're back to the press box morning show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at six nine one eight seven Finley Kia. Come see a Kia on West Sahara. Okay, I wanted to talk about the chaos in European soccer, but we did not leave nearly enough time for me to yell about this. So, I think what I'm going to do today, Ed, while we do on, on-air on planning of the show, I'm going to make that Bischoff briefs today. I'm just going to yell about soccer and Bischoff briefs. And instead, right now, we'll talk can about I, a little uh, bit... I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here and say, huge thumbs up for me. You can talk about it all you want. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, right now, we'll talk about the Minnesota Twins because oh, yeah. the Twins have now had games postponed because they have had multiple people test positive. Um, the there, There's a lot of interesting parts of this, but the first layer that's interesting is that Andrew Tosimitans, who is their shortstop, uh, he tweeted earlier last week that he was not going to get vaccinated. And then on Thursday, he tested positive for the virus. Now, Major League Baseball, if you have one guy test positive, doesn't seem like that's enough to shut a team down. But then on Saturday, they had more positive tests, and Major League Baseball said, okay, Twins are shut down for now. You guys might have an outbreak on your hands, so you you need to get that under control. And then we'll figure out about bringing you back. Uh, But what's interesting is that 
the Twins were shut down. But last week, the Chicago Cubs had to put three players on the IL because of COVID, and the Astros had to put five players on the IL because of COVID. But neither of those teams were shut down, and it's kind of confusing as to what Major League Baseball is doing in terms of who plays and who doesn't play. Well, I don't know about the Cubs, but obviously they're uh, you know holding the Astros to a higher uh, level here because <laughs> of what happened in the past. So they're saying, look, we don't care how many people you have, you're still going to put a minor league team out there against the Mariners. <laughs> I have... Again, it's it's not funny because this is serious stuff, but like what you you and I talked about, what Mike talked about, oh well let's leave Mike out of it because he wants bad calls, but like are we surprised are we surprised ever, no matter what the decision by Major League Baseball is, is completely inconsistent from strikes to this. It's it's who you know, Manfred takes a lot of heat and a lot of a lot of it justifiably so, but I can't tell you how one guy gets popped positive and other teams have had four or five, and they're not shut down. It makes no sense on any level. I mean, to me, I'd shut them down if I had positive tests. I mean, people don't like to hear that, but I would shut them down. And look what happened with the Twins. He gets, he gets positive, and the next day, more Twins test positive. So I have no idea why the other two weren't shut down. I mean, I'm with you in that one probably shouldn't shut down a baseball team. But again, look what happened. Then the next day, other guys are positive. You don't know what the tracing and everything, who might be infected at that point. The main problem is Major League Baseball is not giving out details as to why they're making the decisions. All they're saying is they think the Twins represented a bigger threat of a spread than the Astros and the Cubs. Now, right. the Cubs put three guys on the IL because of COVID on Monday or Tuesday. By Thursday, they were back. So the Cubs had no, like, they didn't have an issue. They just had three guys out for close contact, and then they were back. The problem with like the Astros, for example, nobody from Major League Baseball or the Astros have said they've got five guys on on the IL because of COVID. Nobody said if any of those five or none of those yes, five positive. tested positive. Right. right. They could they could all be close contacts, but right. if you're close contacts, like the Cubs players came back in three days, the Astros players are still are still out until Thursday at the earliest, apparently. But they're playing so, games. Right, and they're still playing. So it's like there's there's a lack of, of information that's being given out by Major League Baseball to where we could try to make sense of their decisions. And so, like, I mean, again, if the Astros had five guys test positive, you'd think they'd shut it down. But if the Astros had five guys who were just close contacts, you'd think they'd be able to come back as soon as the Cubs players did. So I don't, I don't like, we, we simply don't know. And the Astros general manager and players have voiced their concerns saying, we don't understand why we're playing, but other teams aren't. So it's even, it's not just us. It's even the teams themselves don't really get what Major League Baseball yeah. is doing. Not shot. Again, um, I, I don't have an answer for you because they're just so inconsistent with the stuff and they shouldn't be. It should be, here's our, here's our uh, you know, stipulations. If any of this stuff happens, we're shutting you down. And it just seems it goes team to team. And that's a, that's a bad, bad thing.